Pray to turn there. 1, 1 through 11. Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus, to all God's holy people in Christ Jesus at Philippi, together with the overseers and deacons, grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I thank my God every time I remember you and all my prayers for all of you. I always pray with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now, being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. It is right for me to feel this way about all of you since I have you in my heart, and whether I am in chains or defending and confirming the gospel, all of you share in God's grace with me. God can testify how I long for all of you with the affection of Christ Jesus. And this is my prayer, that your love may abound more and more in knowledge and depth of insight so that you may be able to discern what is best and may be pure and blameless for the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. Amen. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this morning. We thank you that even as we're reading your word that was written uh, to a different church uh, by the power of your Holy Spirit, uh, we see even in these first 11 verses, it's written to our church too. So we open up your word, Lord, and we ask that you would speak to us. And uh, we love you. We pray everything in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, we're going to begin a new series today. Uh, we're in the book of Philippians, and we're going to go through it together. I've kind of subtitled the series, Jesus is Our Refuge. Um, and you'll see as we're going through the book. The book of Philippians, is a, it's a unique book of the Bible. Actually, it's a letter. It's written by the Apostle Paul uh, to one of the churches he planted on one of his missionary journeys. He has three that are recorded for, if you count his trip to imprisonment in Rome, which is where he was when he wrote this letter. Uh, we have a map, I think, that uh, kind of shows, sometimes a little bit of a visual is helpful. Sorry, we only have 70-inch TVs. <laughs> <laughs> Dear Lord, we pray someone would give some money and we would buy 95-inch TVs. I'm just kidding. But um, if you can see that, or if you have a Bible, on the back pages of your Bible, a lot of them, they have some maps. What the maps are for is to kind of show you some of this stuff, because Paul literally traveled a geographical area we would call modern-day Turkey, and then over into Europe. Philippi is in the top right corner. Following that red line, There's a sea, uh, there was sea travel involved, and Philippi is up in that top corner. It was the, it was the leading city of Rome in this area. It was like Rome's major outpost. And um, it was the first Christian church in Europe, when you look back. This was uncharted waters. Uh, Philippians is called one of the prison epistles. Epistle is, uh, means letter or message. It's a text message of the day. Uh, one of the five letters um, that Paul wrote from jail when he was in 
jail, actually house arrest this time. I had been in jail a few times. This time he was in house arrest for about two years, which you can read about at the end of the book of Acts, chapters 20, 28. There's a few verses that talk about. It says, for the next two years, Paul was able to rent a place. He was under Roman guard, but he was able to rent. People were able to come and visit him and, and this and that, which will make some sense as we get into Philippians because he's going to talk about someone that was staying with him who actually delivered the letter to the Philippians. Epaphroditus is the guy's name. Acts chapter 16, you can read about this missionary journey that Paul does, the second missionary journey, where he goes to Philippi, was the name of the city, big city. Um, you can read about that. And some of the people that were involved in planning this church, the first Christians, the first Christian in Europe was a woman named Lydia, the seller of purple for those of you Bible scholars, meaning that she was from a, a certain area that she was, she was kind of like a fashion icon of the day, the Nomatu Magatu of the day, uh, if you will, for you Zoolander fans out there. Um, so one of the five letters he wrote from jail while he was in Rome in 61 or 62 AD, um, or 61 and 62 AD, and as he's sitting in house arrest, Paul is thinking about his journey so far. Not just his missionary journey, but his life, which we sometimes call our journey. All the stuff that we've been through. How did I end up in this place? All, and as he started to think about his life, obviously he thinks about people that he's crossed paths with. As when we're so, oftentimes when we're alone, we think about the people that we love and what we would say to them if we could speak to them. That's what Paul's doing. And he writes five letters. One of the letters that he wrote from jail is the book of Philippians. What's special about the group of the people in the, the city of Philippi is Paul never planned on meeting these people. Do you know he never planned on going here? He didn't want to go here, actually. You can read all about it in Acts chapter 16, so you know I'm not making it up, but he is actually trying to go to sort of like Thyatira, where Lydia is from. He was trying to hang a left on his journey when he was traveling across and get down to Ephesus. That's really where he, that's the zone that he wanted to be. Tells us in Acts chapter 16 that the Holy Spirit <coughs> forbid him from going there. We're not given explicit details on how the Holy Spirit forbid him. Some say he got really sick. There are different things, but it just says the, the Lord kept saying no. And doesn't God lead us by saying no sometimes. And it says he got to the certain place, and in that place he had a dream. He had a vision from God. God spoke to him in a dream, and this is what he saw. He saw a man standing and said, please come help us. And when he woke up, he said, he was like, the Lord is calling us to go across the sea. So they went. It says that the wind was to their back and sailing was easy, because sometimes when God opens a door, it just boom. And they get over and they stop in Salmon Thrace and then they go on to Philippi. And when they get there, there's no church there. No, actually, back in Christian was, Christianity is brand new. Judaism is what was kind of Christianity came from. And there was no synagogue in this place, meaning that there were less than 10 known Jewish men in this city. But God wanted Paul to go there. Paul didn't want to go there. 
God said no to other things, and then he said yes to this, and he gets to Philippi. An unlikely group of people from a place he never meant to go. Philippi, like I said, was the first church in Europe. And Paul wrote this letter, 61, 62 AD. This is about 12 years after he planted the church. So 12, so he goes through Philippi, all that stuff happens. Then he continues the journey. You guys, some of you know it. Goes to Thessalonica, Athens, Corinth eventually, Ephesus. Back to Jerusalem where he's arrested. Then sent on a ship to Rome because he appealed to Caesar because he's being treated unfairly. Takes this trip to, to Rome where he's sitting. And you could sit for years and years and years before Caesar had time to see you, especially if he didn't know you. So for two years, Paul sat in house arrest. That's where he wrote this letter. 13 years or so, 12 or so years after he planted the church. Philippians is unique in the fact that there is no major church doctrinal issues that need to be dealt with. It's not so much a behavioral letter as it is a love letter. Paul wasn't just writing to people he knew, but people he loved. The church of Philippi and the Philippian believers, they were, I would say, the closest to Paul's heart. They weren't just a church he planted. They were his friends. For this reason, the book of Philippians is less structured than some of the other letters and more personal than some of his other letters. It's a letter of love. It has many of the verses that we today, may, you may not know they come from Philippians, but we say them a lot if you're a follower of Jesus. These are verses that we say to ourselves and we hold on to. There's ones like, he who began a good work in you will carry it on until the completion and Carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. That's one my family and I are holding on to real close ourselves right now. Paul says in Philippians, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. We're going to see why he said that. But that's where this verse comes from. It's also we get one of the clearest pictures in the Bible of Jesus' deity, the fact that Jesus is God when we hear these verses. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourself. Do not look out for your own interests, but for the interests of others. In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who, being in the very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, being found in the appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on the cross. Does this sound familiar? Therefore, God has exalted him and given him, has exalted him to the highest place and given him the name that is above every name. That at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is the Lord to the glory of God the Father. He's writing that to his friends. We'll see the context as we come up. We also get this verse, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. Comes from Philippians. I consider everything a loss compared to the worth, the surpassing worth of knowing Christ. He says, I count all of that stuff. This is where Paul says, I count my old life as garbage. No matter what I've done, 
to build my own platform. He goes, that stuff is garbage compared to knowing Jesus. That's where Philippians is where it's written. Brothers and sisters, he says, I'm just firing off some to you guys. You'll see as we go. <coughs> Forget one thing I do. The one thing I do to keep going is I have to forget what's behind me and press on to what's ahead. I move on. I press on toward the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. Do not be anxious for anything. But in every situation... By prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, make your requests known to God and the peace of God which surpasses all understanding will guard your hearts and minds. Paul's writing to his friends. Lastly, before we get into today's message, he says this, whatever is, whatever is good, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if there's anything excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. You think thinking positively is a new agey thing? No, it's from God himself that says, these are the things that you should meditate on. The main idea in the book of Philippians is this. Life is hard. Things happen to us that are not in our control. They're out of our control in this life. But we can be confident that God is in control. So what Paul was experiencing in prison, and that's what he wanted to pass on to his friends. And as we keep our eyes on Jesus, we keep our life devoted to him, and we are following wholeheartedly after him we will experience in the midst of all of this what can only come from God, namely his presence with us. And with it comes joy that you experience in the midst of hardship. Peace that outweighs your understanding. It doesn't all of a sudden make you understand. It just is heavier on your heart than the hardships we go to. That's the reason we've called the series Jesus is Our Refuge. The idea in Philippians is he alone is our place of safety and protection. He alone is stronger than all that this world can throw at us. This morning's message is titled The Power of Partnership, and we're going to look at those first 11 verses that Anna read. Thank you for doing that. The best partners in our lives the best partnership you can have in life is with someone that gets you and you get them, right? Someone who is for you and someone that you're for. These are the best partnerships. And you do whatever is in your ability to serve and take care of each other. You're working towards the same goal. The believers at Philippi were the first church that took Paul under their care. Do you know that? He went and did all this, planted all these churches and was traveling and giving. They were the first church that said, we love you. Come in here. Let us take care of you. 
They continually prayed for him. You'll see as we go through the letter, they supported him, his ministry financially. They were ride or die with Paul. They had his back and he had theirs. It is a very powerful thing when you know that someone is for you and believes in you. One of the things I say in weddings, we got a, uh, one coming up here pretty soon. So I might, should I say it? I'm going to blow it when, when I say it at the wedding. But this is one thing that I truly believe um, that God gives uh, our wives. He gives them a superpower. Dang it. But they have this power of encouragement. Because they see as a man there's something that if you know your wife is for you, then you could face the hardest stuff this world could ever throw at you and you can do it because you know she's down for you. But if you don't know if she's down for you or not, then even small things feel impossible and hard because the one person that you love, that's the most important partnership you can have. And so, wives, you, God has given you this superpower. Husbands, he's given it to us too. It's our, it's our words. They either build people up or break people down, right? Um, power, the life and death lie in the power of the tongue. But it's such a powerful thing when you know people. The unspoken in your relationship, they are for me. You don't have to speak it. It's unspoken. They're down for me. Paul and these people. Three things Paul references in these first 11 verses about his relationship with his brothers and sisters and what they shared and the power of partnership. The first one is this. Back to verse 1. The first uh, thing they had, the power of partnership, was this. The partnership of grace. Verse 1. Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus, to all God's holy people in Christ Jesus at Philippi. That means all the people. If you are in, if your life is hid in Jesus, if you have given it to him, guess what? You are holy. He's going to continue to make you more like Jesus. That's a process. But you are God's people. You are a saint. Somebody give me a hallelujah. hallelujah. That's how God sees you. It may not be how the world sees you or your family sees you or whatever. That's how God sees you. To God's holy people at the bridge. Then he says, Together with the overseers and deacons, this is the leadership of the church, grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus. Grace to you. Grace is a state of being. You stand in grace. You have been extended God's grace. You don't earn it. Sorry. You can't earn it. It's given to you. It's a, it's a state in which you are. You are in God's grace. If you have given your life to Jesus, if you have asked him to forgive you of your sin, to come into your life, to lead you, to be with you. Before the gospel, hear me, please. Before the gospel is news that we share, it's a reality in which we must live. Because if it is simply news we share with people, it will never be seasoned with the grace that it's supposed to be seasoned with when it washes over you every single day. 
It's the realization that if you have placed your life in Jesus' hands, you are saved. You are sealed with the Holy Spirit. And guess what? You will be with the Lord forever. These are truths my family and I are holding on to tightly right now. You are in the good shepherd's hand and nothing can take you out of it. That's what it means to stand in grace. That song where it says, we co- or the, ver- the verse that was read in Hebrews, that we come to the throne room that we can find of grace, that we may find help and mercy in a time of need. It says, let us come, how? Boldly. Why? Because we are in God's grace. We don't have to earn a seat with the king at the throne room. You don't have to wait in line. You burst in like a kid with a boo-boo to their mom and dad. That's what it means to stand in grace. It's to know who you are. That's the first thing he says. Where partnership is in God's grace, not in our coolness, not in our piousness. It's in God's grace. The realization of God's amazing grace in someone's life makes them say crazy stuff like this. For I am not ashamed of the gospel. For it is the power of God that brings salvation to everyone who believes. Paul said that. He also said this to Timothy. Jesus Christ came to save sinners, of which I am the worst. See, grace doesn't hide who we are. Grace stands in God's power and God's love that overpowers our brokenness. That's what people who stand in God's grace are willing to be like. Yeah, here's who I am. Here's who I was, and here's who I want to be, and I stand in this place that God would do it. That's standing in God's grace. Grace and peace. When we know who we are in Christ, even in the midst of hardship, there's a peace. Why? Because the peace that comes from God is often a refuge in the midst of distress and not an escape from it. That's what's different between God's peace and, and the world. The world is escape and you'll be good. God says, no, I have something for you in the middle of it. Jesus, when he prayed to the Father in John 17, he said, don't take them out of the world. He says, but keep them safe from the evil one. If I wanted to take them out of the world, I would pray for you to take them out of the world. But they are not of the world, just as I, I am not of the world, Jesus says. So don't take them out of the world. He says, let them experience your grace, your love, your power, that they would be set apart, that they would be witnesses. This was a common bond that they shared and was the first thing Paul wanted to encourage them with. The second power of partnership is the partnership of hope. The the hope that they shared. They shared the grace. This is the hope that's shared. And by the way, Hope in the Bible is not like I hope we get to have lunch after this or I hope this message is good or short. Hope in the Bible says it's actually an anchor for your soul. It's something you bet the freaking farm on. Put all your cards in that basket. That's what hope is. It means we're sure. We're all in. This was their partnership of hope. Pick it up in verse 3. Paul writing, I thank God... Every time I remember you, in all, in all my prayers for all of you, I always pray with joy. He's like, when I'm thinking and praying for you guys, it brings a smile to my face. Because of your partnership in the gospel from this first day until now, being confident of this, 
that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. Verse 7. It's right for me to feel this way about all of you. Since I have you in my heart, and whether I am in chains, which he was, or defending and confirming the gospel, all of you share in God's grace with me. God can testify how I long for all of you with the affection of Christ Jesus. I heard a story recently. I was trying to remember the conversation with who told me it. If you're here, I'm sorry if I butcher it and don't tell it as good as you told me. But I heard a story about a man who was stuck in a hole. It's this deep hole and he couldn't get out. And people just walked by and they looked at him down there and it was sort of like, too bad for you, but I'm not going down there. So people just went about their own way and the world just kind of went on without him and he's down in this hole and he's yelling, help, please, somebody. Then one day somebody walked by and they didn't even say anything. They just jumped down in the hole with him. And the guy who was stuck in there is like, you idiot. Man, I've been stuck down here forever. And you just jumped down here. Now you're stuck down here too. And the guy says, no, don't worry about it. See, I've been in here before. And I know how to get out. Paul says, you guys are partners with me in this thing. He goes, whether I'm in chains, which I am, or I am out planting churches and things that God has called me to do, I've been, I've been discouraged. As a matter of fact, he was a human being, you know not just like a rad church planner and one of the apostles. He got discouraged from time to time. Read his letters and you can talk about how refreshed he was when people came along and encouraged him, helped him out. But Paul was being confident for them because he himself was experiencing God's presence in his midst because he was alone. He'll say in another letter, everybody left him at one point, but that's when he says, but God never left me. We are not told specifically what the hardships are in their lives, but we know they were pretty radical. They faced extreme hardship. They faced extreme opposition to their faith and who they were and who they were trying to be in the world. So I don't know all of the stuff, but I know some of the stuff that people think about me. That I'm weird. I mean, that's true regardless that I'm a religious person, that I'm like a... People have all sorts of ideas of what it is to be a Jesus follower, and 99% of them are wrong. That's why we're here not telling people how to be like us, but how to know Jesus. But they face extreme hardships, way gnarlier than what I do. And if we're honest, hardships shake us to our very course. If you're real with it, when some stuff is really hard, it makes you say stuff like John the Baptist. Are you, is it real? John the Baptist, the Bible says, was the greatest prophet of them all. And he told, sent a messenger to Jesus to say, are you really who you say you are? See, hardships, wolf, wolf, they'll shake us to our foundational core of who am I? What do I believe? God, are you there? Do you care? Are you loving? All that stuff. 
And Paul is saying, he, is, he has faced it, they're facing it, and they had a partnership of hope, and they're spurring one another on. I just want to speak to somebody in the room that's going through a hardship right now. I don't know what your hardship is, but I know it's hard, and I know it hurts, and I know it's confusing. But I want to speak in context what Paul spoke to them, okay? This is not the end. You need to hear it. Even if it's the end of you on earth, if you have placed your life in Jesus' hands, this is not the end. You can be confident that he who began a good work in you will see it all the way through. Until when? Until the day of Christ Jesus. When is that? That is when you step out of your life here on earth and you step into the presence of God forever. Whether it's today or when you're 120 years old. He who began a good work of you. Some of you, you need to hear it because you're trying and you're struggling and you're failing and you don't see the light. Just know this is not the end. He's not going to give up. The only way that you're going to lose is if you quit on yourself. But Jesus will never quit on you. Let me read you a verse that Paul wrote in another letter that says it's super powerful. It's actually a few verses. And um, just listen to this. Jot it down. Go look at these this week. What shall we say about things such as so wonderful as this? If God is for us, who could ever be against us? Since he did not spare even his own son, but gave him up for us all, won't he also give us everything else? Who dares accuse us whom God has chosen for his own? No one. For God himself has given us right standing with himself. Who then will condemn us? No one. For Christ Jesus died for us and was raised to life for us. And he is sitting in the place of honor at God's right hand, pleading for us. Did you know like Jesus himself not only knows what you're going through, but he's making prayers and intercessions for you? Can anything ever separate us from Christ's love? Does it mean that no longer... Does it mean he no longer loves us if we have trouble or calamity or persecuted or hungry or destitute or in danger or threatened with death? Because it's just as the scriptures say, we are, it seems like we are being killed every day. We are being slaughtered like sheep. Nope, not even that. Despite all these things, overwhelmingly victory is ours through Christ who loved us. And I am convinced of this. That's the word hope. I am convinced of this, even through all that stuff. Nothing can ever separate us from God's love. Neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor demons, nor, neither our fears for today, our worries about tomorrow, not even the powers of hell can separate us from God's love. No power in the sky or above or earth below, indeed, Nothing in all creation will ever be able to separate us from the love of God that is revealed in Jesus Christ our Lord. That's hope. See, the hope we have is not a good feeling that everything will work out because, can I be honest? It may not work out the way you think it's going to. 
The hope we have in God is not a good feeling that everything will work out. Rather, it's an anchor to our souls that where Jesus is, we will also be. That's the hope Paul was sharing with his friends. The third thing is partnership of path. Verse 9, this is my prayer. That your love may abound more and more in knowledge and depth of insight and that you may be able to discern what is best and may be pure and blameless for the day of Christ. Filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. That's the first verses, in my opinion, where Paul gets a little Pauly. You're like, what does that mean? What does that mean? What does that mean? What does that mean? You're speaking plain up until now. So what he's saying. The best partnerships in life are the ones where you're going the same direction with people and you're wanting the same things. I deleted the, the scripture this morning when I was editing. Sunday mornings, I just I edit, edit, edit. But there is a verse in Proverbs that I wanted to share where Paul is, or, um, Solomon is talking, talking to his son. He says it over and over. I don't remember which one it is. That's okay. The best partnerships are where you're walking in the same direction with people. Think of shoulder to shoulder. We live in such a face-to-face world. Opposition. Prove that person wrong. They're going to try to prove me wrong. Blah, blah, blah. Just argue all the time. The best partnerships and where you're going to find the most growth in your life is when you put yourself side by side with people who want the same things as you. Tons of Proverbs, if you've been reading your Proverbs this summer, which you should, because there's 31 and they take like four minutes. You read one every day. So much of what is being talked about as a father is passing on stuff to his son. He's saying stuff like this. This isn't even the one I wanted, but it says the same thing. Above all else, guard your heart. For For from it flows all the issues of life. Keep your mouth free of perversity Keep corrupt talk from your lips. Let your eyes look straight ahead. Fix your eyes, be directly, fix your eyes directly before you say unto his son, stay focused. Don't focus on all this bad stuff out there. And then he says this, give careful thought to the paths of your feet. Don't turn to the right or to the left. Keep your foot from evil. When I was looking for, he says all of that, but then he says, watch out with who you hang out with. Because if you're hanging out with people that aren't going the same direction as you, they're going to turn you to the right or to the left. So I'm here to tell you today that the people you walk with say a lot about you. There's studies that are shown in business books and stuff that says, you show me the five people that are closest to you, and I'll show you. And it's like you're going to be right in the middle of them, from financially to personality stuff. So if you're hanging out with people that all they do is talk about others. Let me tell you two things. Number one, as soon as you leave, you're next. 
And number two, you're never going to get where you want to be. And this stuff that we're reading in Philippians is, is going to be religious jargon because it's not going to be part of your path. Oh, yeah, focus on good stuff. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I remember someone told me one time, because I felt God calling me into this, being a pastor. And I was like, trying to figure it out. And I was at a conference. Because I just was, I said yes to every opportunity. God did something. I was just there. Because I was just like, God, what do you, what do you want to teach me? What do you want to show me? I want to serve your people well. And I remember someone just said, for those young guys in this room, and I was young at the time, and they said, you find someone that in your eyes is doing it. God will show you someone that's like that person. And you attach yourself to them. And you just be with them and learn from them. It's discipleship. But it's like you don't wait until that person says, oh, you have so much potential. Here, come. Because that's not the story for me. But for most people, we get overlooked by those that we wish would invest. But it was just like you put yourself out there. You see people walking in the direction that you want to go, go be with them. Don't let anything hold you back. Some of us have made a lot of choices with people that we've hung out with. And here's the reality. Sometimes that, some of that's got to be cut. Because you're never going to get where you want to be if you're being drugged in another direction. I think you can tell I'm passionate about that. This is why camps are so powerful for kids. When they come back and they're like, I just wish we could be at camp forever. Why? They're steeped in a culture of walking in the same direction with people 24-7 for a week. Changes their life. Retreats, hobbies, serving. That's why when you're really shoulder to shoulder with someone, you connect more. That's why I love sports and hobbies and doing stuff with people because more of a connection, you can make more of a connection with someone on a two-hour bike ride than you can in going to church with them for two years if you just say, hey, what's up? Good, how are you? Good, see you later. When you're on a bike ride, you're, you're suffering together. You're adventuring together. You're pulling for each other to do your best. It's like all of this stuff in a picture form. That's who I want us to be for our city. A group of people that's willing to walk shoulder to shoulder with people who don't believe yet. Who have been hurt. That need to experience restoration. On a bigger level, that's what we want to be a church. And I believe that's what God wants for his church. <clears throat> so as Paul sat and was thinking about them, that they have all this stuff in common, his thoughts turn to prayers. And by the way, oftentimes that's where prayers come from. When you sit down to pray, how many people have ever sat down to pray and be like, I don't know what to pray. I'm in that place in my life right now. I'm like, I don't know what to pray. Here's what I'm thinking. Well, oftentimes I'll give words, just give words to your thoughts. Lord, this is what I'm thinking as I think about this. I think this is what's happening with Paul. We make him so official, like and then the apostle Paul sat down and wrote a letter and every word was just from, from just from the Lord straight through, which it was, but it was also 
through his life. And he's thinking about people that he's loved. I was in prison. You know the last time he was in prison before this? Actually, two times ago that he was in prison was in Philippi when he planted the church. And he gets thrown in jail, and he's thinking back, and that's where his thoughts turn to prayer. Oh, Lord. And so imagine that. Now read his prayer. Lord, my prayer for them is that their love would be bigger than the problems that they would understand what's from you and what's not from you, that they would grow, and that the the stuff they're facing wouldn't take away from what you want to do in them and through them. That's what he's praying. He actually prayed for them what I think he wanted for himself. That word that they would grow, that your love may abound, it's the word agape. It's like the really hard to define what this word means because it means so much. It talks about how you feel. It talks about what you do. It actually refers to an activity that the churches would do called a love feast, which was really big, I think, again, in the Jesus movement. But it's just like this thing where people would come together, and here's what it was. The people who had money and means would go out and buy um, Filet mignon. And if you don't eat meat and you're a vegetarian, they would buy really good carrots. And they would, the ones who could would provide for those who couldn't and they would make sure everyone was taken care of and you ate like a king or a queen. That, that word, love feast, that's a, that's a way to show agape. To make sure the least of these know that they're the most of these. Agape is the way you feel about people. Agape is the way you feel about yourself. It has all of these words like fellowship and, and, and good, um, whatever is the word when you go and you do something good for someone. What is it? Yes, charity. He hoped that they would grow in their agape because that's what he wanted for himself. Their love for God and love for each other. In our personal relationships, it's vital that we surround ourselves with people who are going the same direction we want to go. That's what Paul is opening up the letter with. So today's introduction to Philippians. I'm going to close this in prayer. We're going to sing this next song. Then I'm going to come up and I'm going to lead us in communion, which what a perfect day to take communion because we'll see that everything Paul is talking about, partnerships with people, it's all pointing to our refuge is who? Our partnership with God based on Jesus' life, death, burial, resurrection, his sacrifice for us. He is our refuge. Having a good friend is a safe place. Having a friend in Jesus is the safest place. So let me pray and uh, then we'll take communion. We're gonna, they're just going to pass it out during the song, so just hold on to the, the bread and the cup, and I'll come up and, and lead us in it. So, Father, thank you for today. We thank you for this beautiful letter that is such, I, I imagine, was such an encouragement to receive from someone that they were worried about and to just hear, like, Their partner in life was still down with them. 
was still pushing forward and really cared about sharing his life with them. So, Lord, I just feel as we read this stuff that by your spirit, your word that is alive and active and cuts us surgically at the heart level, you're speaking to us to just let us know that you are with us first and foremost and, and that the prayer for this place is that that would be our mindset as well. That we would be partnered in, the, partnered in grace, partnered in hope, and partnered in path. Lord, we'd be walking the same direction. As we sing the song, Holy Spirit, I just want to ask that you would do the ministering to people that you want to do. There's someone in here that feels like they've strayed off a path that you have for them. I pray they would feel you calling them back. If there's someone that has been just straight up walking away from you, I pray you'd convict their heart in the loving way that you do, that you would draw them back and you would say that way is going to lead to destruction. You don't want to go that way. And for anyone who needs to know that this is not the end, Lord, would you, I just pray you would, your, your presence and your peace would, would be on that person's spirit right now. We love you and we thank you, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen.